Welcome back to the New Deal. This is episode two in the New Deal series on the student loan crisis. And this episode is going to cover common stigmas related to the student loan crisis, student debt in general, and loan forgiveness. But before that, if you like the New Deal, you like what you see here, please hit the subscribe button below. Uh, you can check out Facebook, thenewdeal.com, where the blog is, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and you can go to Twitch, where I'm prepping a channel for live streaming, politics, and gaming. So if you go find the New Deal over on Twitch, I would really appreciate that too, and I can't wait to start streaming. Um, for the podcast listeners out there, please rate the podcast, like the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. I would appreciate that as well. And also for the listeners out there, any graphics that I'm presenting on screen, I'll do my absolute best to convey so that you guys get at least the semi-full experience. Let's call it the 95% experience because I'm going to describe it in such great detail and at such length that you're going to get tired of me talking if you haven't already. So the first episode was on was it, uh, was an intro, and I introduced the five stigmas that I think are the, the main overarching stigmas in the student debt crisis. Uh, if you want, you can check out the video, uh, the first episode. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. It gives you a good introduction to all of this. And um, I want to use the same five stigmas that I presented in that video for this one. So just to recap, here they are. Number one, uh, the people who went to college, they should have known what they were getting into. They chose to take the loans. They didn't have to go to college. Number two, they just don't want to pay back the loan. They have no interest in paying back the loan. Maybe they never had an interest in paying back the loan, uh, but right now they just don't want to pay it. They're looking for a free ride. Number three, uh, they should have earned a higher paying degree. Or number four, they earned a dumb degree and it didn't allow them to make money, so now they can't pay their loans and they should have known what they were getting into. And number five, this is perhaps the most complex, and yesterday I qualified it a little bit, but I call this the jealousy or struggle complex. And I think we're going to spend quite a little bit of time, quite a bit of time on that today. So without delay, let's get into the stigmas. So number one, they knew what they were getting into. The, the, the first part of this stigma that we need to consider is the cultural expectation to go to college. I'm 33 years old. I graduated high school in 2005, college in 2010. And I can tell you my experience was this was drilled into me my whole life. Ready? Ready? Because we all know it. We all know this. Go to school, get good grades, get a good GPA and apply to college. Do college, get through college, earn your degree, earn your degree. And you are good to go. You are good to go. If you have a degree, if you graduate college, you are, you're good. It was drilled into us over and over again, over and over again. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, the media, whoever, teachers, teachers, counselors, everybody go to college, right? And you buy into it. You, you believe it. And, and when we were growing up, I do think this has changed a little bit. Um, there was a large element of this that was true. Co college College degrees, I think, were worth more when we were growing up than they might be now, at least as far as, uh, you know, loan to debt ratio that you come out of college with. I mean, at least there. Um, and interestingly, a 2013 survey uh, found that 96% of all parents in 2013 believed that their child should go to college. 
96%. And maybe that number's come down a little bit in the last eight years. But in 2013, right around the time, you know, just after the economic crash, 96% of parents thought their children should go to college. That's a big number. So cultural expectations. There's a lot of cultural expectations and pressure that send people on the path to college. The second part of this stigma is the economic, um, sorry, the unforeseen factors, including economic shortfalls. So the first one, the first unforeseen factor is wage stagnation. I've been doing a lot of research on minimum wage and, 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 and stuff like that. And I found out that minimum wage kind of peaked in relation to inflation in 1968. The dollar equivalent of the minimum wage in 1968, if it had been carried over for today and accounted for with inflation, that number would be $12.02. So in 1968, they were earning effectively $12.02 at minimum wage. We're earning $7.25. The people on minimum wage now are effectively earning 30% less than their 1968 counterparts, which means the money that we're earning is not worth as much. I mean, especially at the lower levels. The, the money isn't there. It doesn't buy you as much. It doesn't have the buying power. There's no way you could have anticipated that unless you were like a 10-year-old economist who was really good at predicting trends. Um, the second unforeseen circumstance is tuition increase. The average tuition and fees at private national universities has jumped 144% in the last 20 years. Out-of-school tuition and fees at national universities, public, has risen 165. In-state tuition fees, you're going to a state school, have grown the most, including 212% in many, for, for many reasons, but a lot of which is that states are not putting funding into the colleges, so the tuition goes up. Unforeseen circumstances. Uh, I'm going to put this graphic up um, just to show you guys. I'll leave it up here real quick just to show you how universally these the, the tuition has gone up for, for all these public and private schools. So there it is. The third unforeseen circumstance was the 2008 financial crash. The 2008 financial crash came seemingly out of nowhere. And it left us at, with a 10% unemployment rate in 2009. That rate would continue, that high rate, 10, 9, 10% would continue for, for many years, including the time I graduated in 2010. That's the economy that I took my degree into. From December 2007 to May of 2016, unemployment was not at any time in that period below 5%. At any time. For nine years, the U.S. did not see an unemployment rate below 5%. That is the economy, nine years, that is the economy that we brought degrees into, expecting them to, you know, get us good paying jobs, a sense of stability for our hard work and effort to pay off. We could not have foreseen it. It was completely unforeseeable. The banks didn't even see it coming. The fourth, and this isn't necessarily unforeseen as much as maybe underappreciated, um, is the racial disparity that exists in, in student loans. And we're going to discuss this a little bit in, a, in another episode, but remember that racial disparity plays a factor here too, and it was unaccounted for. And then finally, we're in the COVID recession right now. Uh, believe it or not, and, and I think because things have been so tough, we don't really take notice, unemployment you know, peaked at 13% in 2020, higher than the 2008 crash ever brought us. And, and so 
Kids are still going to college. They're learning online. They're going to graduate into an economy that could potentially have double-digit unemployment rates. And here we are again, less than a decade later. Later. Another interesting note, something to remember. As part of the relief package last year, federal student loans were allowed to be placed into forbearance, which means that you didn't have to pay your loans anymore. It was kind of like a, hey, we know things are tough right now, so nobody has to pay their loans. And I think that was actually renewed until maybe March of this year. Something that we need to think about moving forward, something scary, is that so 100% of those loans went into forbearance. You could manually, I mean, you could call and say, hey, I want to keep paying my loan. As we speak, 88% of federal student loans are still in forbearance. Only 14% have entered repayment. When things get back to normal, when those debts need to start being paid again, in an economy with 13% or double-digit unemployment, where there are, you know, jobs are going to be slow to come back, people defaulting on loans or not being able to pay their loans, that's going to get worse. That's going to get worse. So that's just one more thing to keep in mind. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Um, and, and finally, the other thing we couldn't foresee is predatory lending. We're going to talk about this in another episode on its own. It's going to take up its own thing. However, I do want to say two major lawsuits are currently in progress involving loan companies due to their predatory lending practices. And I will also cover it in the episode predatory lending. But I want you to remember the fa- phrase loans designed to fail because they were real and they play a big part in this. That's stigma number one. Number two, uh, they didn't want to pay it back. Uh, Relatively short here. Um, There was no talk of loan forgiveness when we were taking out our loans, when people might and before were taking out our loans. There's no talk of loan forgiveness. There was not a student loan crisis. This is an issue that's exploded in the last 10 to 15 years. And unfortunately, and and I'll I'll bring this up a little bit later in the episode as well, but there's this concept that all these people are lazy. These people don't want to pay back their loans. They're lazy. They're not doing enough. If they wanted to pay them back, they could. They could be doing better. Um, lazy people don't typically go to college. The ones that do probably don't stay in college. And there's a motivation factor that you have to have to get through four years of school. So this insidious mindset that, you know, people are lazy, that plays into the jealousy struggle complex we're going to get into later. We, we, that needs to be addressed because simple you know, excuses like that where you can just kind of brush away everyone else's problems, they don't serve anybody well. They don't serve the people who are hurting well. They don't serve the country well. They don't serve humanity well. So that was number two, real quick. Um, number three, they should have earned a higher paying degree. I had fun with this one. Um, number one, we need to consider the predictability of job fields. Uh, We have lived in a world where technology is changing at an extremely rapid pace. We forget that the internet wasn't a thing when we were kids. The internet wasn't a thing. This thing that you're you're experiencing, like this podcast and this video on, this didn't exist. You were watching me in high definition. I've got a home podcast studio set up with a microphone and a camera and a light and a and a audio interface connected to my PC. And the internet wasn't a thing when I was a kid. So you, you, you need to anticipate that the job field is so quickly evolving that it's not really highly predictable to determine what job fields are going to make it and what aren't, except in STEM, you know, w- w- which we'll get to. But it, the internet was a thing. 
Cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18 years old. Cell phones weren't a thing. Uh, so we have to remember how, how quickly things are changing. And, um, you know, so this is going to lead me into the next one, which is they got a stupid degree. Okay, well, maybe they, maybe they didn't get a stupid degree. Maybe they got a degree that they thought would serve them well. Uh, we hear uh, this made fun of a lot. English majors, right? Philosophy majors, liberal arts majors, uh, theater, regular arts majors. Oh, you know, why, why would anyone waste their time? Found some interesting stats on degrees. Really interesting stats. Um, so I'm going to put up a chart here. All right, here we go. So, so the chart you're looking at right now is the highest earning to debt ratio for a degree. What this means is that these are these degrees will take out likely less money than other degrees. They'll require less money to go through college than other degrees, and they'll pay enough money where they will be making much more money than they owe. So let's look at this. Number one on the list is physical sciences. The average loan taken out, and this is based in 2017, was $5,290. The early career median wage, how much they'd be making when they got out of college, was $46,000. That gives them a ratio of 8.6, a positive ratio of 8.6. So the next five or six I'm going to rattle off here are all at 7.6 or 7.5 for ratio. Very similar numbers to what I just read off. Computer engineering. Engineering is number three. Chemical engineering is number four. Computer science is number five. Electrical and electronics engineering is number six. Industrial engineering is number seven. Mechanical engineering is number eight. Engineering technology is number nine. And we got some new words. Clinical medical laboratory technician comes in at number 10 with a ratio of 6.99, making an average of $42,000 per year. Now, some of those middle ones, those median wages are as high as 68,000 for a chemical engineer, computer scientist in there. So those are your majors you know, your, your four-year degrees with the highest earning to debt ratio. And, and so I just want to, you know, kind of revisit the median salaries for some of these. Um, so this is just how much they make. Again, highest chemical engineer, number one, computer engineering, two, electrical and electronics engineering, number three, industrial engineering, number four, aerospace engineering, five, mechanical engineering, six, computer science, seven, and then just plain old engineering and civil engineering at eight and nine. Every single one of those makes between sixty and sixty-eight thousand dollars as an early career median wage. I, I I think we see some similarities in these jobs, and I want you to remember those similarities for for later in the episode. This last chart is the one that I found most interesting. This is the chart with. These are the majors with the lowest earning to debt ratio. These are the degrees that people say you shouldn't get. English, philosophy, stuff like that. Except it's not English and philosophy. That's not the degrees that we see here. And I was surprised to see the number one degree with the highest debt to income ratio, or sorry, the lowest, is a law degree. A law degree will leave college more in debt and making less money than any other degree. The next up is for pharmacy. The third from the bottom is education. The fourth from the bottom is social service. And health ad services administration comes in at fifth from the bottom, which is number 60 overall. So we went from 64 to number 60. I'll, I'll go a little further up the list. International relations and affairs at 59. Nutrition scientist at 58. 
Art, History, Criticism, and conserva- Conservation is number 57. There's, there's an art word, you know, number seven from the bottom. Number 56, Architecture. Okay, so there are surprises down here. And the most interesting fact of all is that if we're working top down, if we're talking about all those engineering degrees up at the top, number one through 10, liberal arts degrees come in at number 15 of 64 for highest income to debt ratio. If you get a liberal arts degree, you have a better, you, you have less debt to salary than finance majors, than accounting majors, than business majors. So there are some misconceptions. There are some biases here that we need to address. There, the, 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 the English philosophy, all that other stuff, they don't sit where we think they sit. So I think we need to all kind of re-examine these degrees. And, and some of these have you know, earning power later on, but we're talking about out of school when you're most vulnerable to your student debts. Um, in America, areas that pay enough to comfortably pay student loans um, is, is limited. Um, areas as far as majors. Um, those with a natural inclination towards STEM, which is um, science, technology, and engineering and math, have an advantage. They, they have an advantage because, as we saw, like all 10 of the top 10 jobs are some type of engineering. So that's number four. They got a stupid degree. Well, according to the statistics, law and pharmacy may be stupid degrees. So be, we, we need to be careful at, at who, who we're picturing when we think of in-debt students. Number five is the jealousy struggle complex. Here are things that people who, who play into this, here, here are some things that they, they would say when, when you ask them about student loans or how they feel about student loan forgiveness. They'll say things like, I was responsible. Well, I paid my loans back. Uh, why shouldn't they? Uh, I didn't go to school, so I wouldn't have to take out loans. Uh, I knew that. So why didn't these people? Why the people who are in debt? Uh, why should the government pay off student debt? Or I have bills too. The, the, those are the things you hear. Uh, as far as I paid back my loans, um, you know, that's great. One, one thing we, we, we don't recognize, and I'll get into this in another episode, um, is that bankruptcy doesn't traditionally apply to student loans. And it's not as simple as that, but bankruptcy is not or has not been an option for student loans up until this point. You could not write off your, your student loans in bankruptcy. You could run up your credit card bill. You could default on your mortgage. You could get all of that, you know, all of that debt taken down or absolved, but student loans was not included. You were stuck with them. And, and we'll get to that in, in uh, an episode two days from now, I believe. Um, so what is the psychology of this mindset? This, well, I, I didn't do that, or, you know, I, I was fine. Um, there's the concept of laziness. Um, there's a concept in America, I think, where people who ask for help are considered lazy. Poor people, lazy. Millennials, lazy. Um, and, and again, people who ask for help in general. This applies to loans. This applies to wages. This applies to welfare. This applies to food stamps. Any type of program where we're talking about helping people financially or socially, there's always a contingent of people out there saying they don't deserve it. They're not working hard enough. They're not doing hard enough. You know, they're not trying hard enough. Uh, they're lazy. There, there's that out there. Just to address kind of like this, this dynamic, um, you know, poor people especially, to get a job, to like work your way up, you need, you need transportation. You need 
You need a skill or, or the ability to learn. You need to be able to fill out an application. You need to be mentally sound. You need safety and stability at home so that you can be away from home. When I joined the Navy, we had to send letters home. We would write letters and we'd send them home from boot camp. I was shocked at the number of people I was in boot camp with, 18 years and older, who did not know how to address a letter to mail it. They didn't know what, where, what to write, where to write it. Okay, we're not talking about a small percentage of people. These types of skills that we, you know, assume that poor people just have, they're not there. So we need to remember that. It's, it's not laziness. There are a lot of factors. So, so we, need to, we need to consider that. And this thought process, this jealousy complex, this struggle complex, and when I say struggle, I mean people think if they struggled, you should struggle. If they had to go through it, you should go through it. If they had to go through it, there's no reason we should try to improve that for, for anyone else because, well, they got through it, so why fix it, right? It's a struggle complex. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a bitterness that maybe someone else may not have to go through what they went through. And it's backwards. Yesterday I used a, a cheating analogy. Um, and, and I'll break it down a little further. If I'm playing a chess match, if I'm playing a chess match against someone and somehow that person cheats, I don't, I don't know. I'm using chess, but I don't whatever someone cheats and i lose as a result of their cheating but there's 40 people watching and they all saw the cheating the only person directly affected by the cheating in a negative way is me i lost the game because the other team cheated and in the this situation the student loan providers cheated uh government regulations failed and and and, 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 and essentially helped those loan companies to cheat so the people who didn't go to school the people who uh, were able to pay off their loans. The people who say things like, well, you know, I, I was fine. You also didn't have to struggle through loan repayment. You also may not have been a victim of predatory lending. You also may have found a job when you get out of school. There are people out there who spent the last 10 to 15 years of their lives being able to not afford a, ho not afford a home, not afford, you know, things that they'd like to have or cars because of student loan debts. It's not so simple as, oh, well, they're going to get money. They've suffered. They have suffered for maybe a decade or longer. They have put in sweat equity for suffering, essentially. And so it's not as simple as, oh, they're getting money. No, no, they're getting money because they were mistreated. So no, you shouldn't get $10,000 because you weren't mistreated. Or, or you had the means to get through it. And, and, and that's important to note, too. Um, and, and to the people who got through it, and I, I was able to get through it, I would say... Why would you wish that experience upon anybody else? You know, we should be trying to change these things. So, so that's where I'm coming from uh, with, with, with that. Uh, that's why it's backwards. Um, loans designed to fail, you know? Um, so the last thing, and this is just kind of an offshoot, but, you know, there are little discussed disadvantages. Um, as we saw with the jobs, our economy disenfranchises so many people simply because the, it favors science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, we are genetically predisposed to be good or bad at things. Some people are great at math. Some people are great at engineering. Some people are great at art. We, are, we have natural predispositions. And a lot of times those natural predisp predispositions play into our happiness, our fulfillment. This economy is asking, let's assume half of people who are creative, you know, thinkers, uh, 
you know, self-expression, you know, those half of the population to go work for 40 hours or more a week in something that they don't like and they're not predisposed to be good at. The economy is disadvantaging people who are naturally predisposed to anything but math science. And that's problematic. So, you know, people who say, oh, they could have gotten a different degree. Well, most people don't want to suffer through their entire career. And at 18, I think you're feeling pretty good about life and idealistic for the most part. And, and, and you've got a lot of years ahead of you. And you're not thinking, oh, man, like I'd really like to suffer, you know, crunching numbers for the next 40 years behind a desk because, uh, you know, I like art. And like it, it's, it's not it's not great. It's not great. Um, people are also predisposed to pursue the type of education their parents pursued. Um, a study found that if you grew up in a household with at least one parent who had a degree, you were more likely to take challenging courses in high school. You were more likely to go to college. You were more likely to earn a four-year degree. And you were more likely to graduate college than households that had limited college education, so under four years, or households that had no degree in it. That's major. That's major. So, you know, if you're growing up in a house with someone with a college degree, you are, you're probably going to go to college and, and you're probably, and you're already set up for success just because your parent had a degree. You, you are predisposed to achieve a higher education. Okay. So there we go. Um, we need to consider these things. Of those students with parents with college degrees that go into college, only 14% of them will drop out in the first three years. Nearly double that number will drop out in the first three years, like 30% if none of their, neither of their parents had any uh, secondary education. Big disparities, and that's just based on how educated your parents are. That is the only factor there. How educated are your parents? That's how big a difference it makes in your predisposition to achieve a higher education and then obviously utilize one. Um, and another interesting fact, and, and one thing culturally we should look at, half of younger millennials say that their degree isn't important to the job they're doing. Um, and, and, but I do want to point out, when you look at job applications, what do you see? Oh, uh, starting position, uh, we'd like five to eight years of experience and a master's degree, salary $35,000 a year. There is a big incongruity. There's a big difference. There's a difference in expectation from what people, ex what employers expect as far as your education effort to come in and how much they're willing to pay. So you get a degree and in your field, and maybe you've got a master's in you know one of these uh, art fields or something like that, and Jobs are, want five to eight years of experience and a master's degree, which you have, but guess what? 35,000. I mean, that is, that's criminal. It's criminal. And I understand we live in a capitalist society, but to demand a master's degree, just in, just knowing that master's degrees cost a lot of money. If you're going to demand a master's degree as an employer, you need to pay for a master's degree as an employer. And that's why so many people I think are working out of their degrees. There's not you're, they're not getting the bang for the buck on the time and effort and energy and money that they put into getting skilled so they can't use their skills because they can't be gainfully employed because they won't get paid. They won't get paid enough. And student loans have a lot to do with that. So uh, that's kind of the last thing I wanted to bring up. So 
We've addressed a lot of stigmas. We've gone through a lot. There, there's been charts and numbers. I hope that this episode has cleared some things up for those people who didn't quite understand, you know, loan forgiveness, where, where people were coming from. Um, I'm not trying to attack anyone who felt that way or, or, or in any way, um, you know, belittle their opinion. Um, I do think a lot of it is just simply people don't know. People don't know the depth of the of the struggle and hardship that student loans have caused other people. So I hope I've been able to convey that in a constructive way. So thank you for the, coming and checking out the New Deal, episode two on the student loan crisis. The next episode, episode three, The Perfect Storm, is going to be a two-part episode. So make sure that you come back for The Perfect Storm, where we just kind of explore the factors that caused the student loan crisis in detail. Uh, so again, thanks for checking it out. Please hit the subscribe button below. If you liked it, uh, rate the podcast. And I will see you guys for the next episode. Have a good one.